Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Bet on Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos, and today's episode is presented by BetOnline.ag. And BetOnline remains the number one source for all your sports betting this season and any season. You're going to find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport. So what are you waiting for? Head to BetOnline.ag to join and receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure you use promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, to receive that reward. BetOnline, where the game starts ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for coming to the pod so excited to have this returning guest back onto the show uh he's got a new title i believe since the last time we've had him on you're gonna see him and listen to him as the pre and post game host for the chicago blackhawks you might even catch him during the game calling the play-by-play king county cougars play-by-play host of wjn's legal face-off a man of many hats so happy to have him back it's joe brand welcome back joe how are you Welcome, or, uh, thank you, Joey. Always a uh, pleasure to be here and uh, decided to take out the hat of my uh, Chicago Fire Department hockey team today. Uh, we got uh, a great uh, display and tour of how they train the fire cadets to become firemen in Chicago. What an experience that was, just a, a cool situation through the Blackhawks, so it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Do you ever make you ever make you think it's kind of a cool gig, right? Forty-eight hours on, forty-eight hours off. I know you're laying your life on the line, but you're in great shape. You kind of hang with the boys. I mean, of course, you got to keep a clean house and everything, but it's it's a really cool gig. Are you a Chicago Fire fan? The show? Do you ever watch? You know, I I don't, and it's funny because I actually the apartment I used to live in in the city was blocks away from where they film, and honestly, not as cool as everyone would think because. I hated it when they would film. They'd block off all the streets. It'd always be difficult just to move around just a couple of blocks. Uh, but funny enough, my dad was a fireman over in the suburbs in Oak Lawn. So I know about that life a lot. I uh, used to go and hang out with his shift after school because it was walking distance from my elementary school. Uh, definitely a cool life. And in, in, in another life, I do think I would explore that lifestyle. Um, have, have even comp- contemplated it. Uh, but I think I'm too far into the business now where I, I can't pull out. <laughs> I think you're doing all right with what you're doing uh, as the pre and post host uh, for the Chicago Blackhawks, calling some games to along the way. Um, yeah, no, it, it's a very cool gig. It still has a lot of its mystique, uh, which is very cool to see after all these years of uh, firefighters in general. But let's talk some Blackhawks really quick. I do want to get to some baseball with you as well. Um, but let's start right here. Where were you on the day that Patrick Kane got traded? I was in the WGN radio studios getting ready for the pregame show against the Arizona Coyotes. Luckily, we had pretty much a, a fair warning that it was going to happen. Uh, circulated throughout all the hockey and Twitter and sports news worlds. Um, but it was it was such an interesting process because it went from, and I'm even talking at the beginning of the year, is Patrick Kane going to be traded? Is he no longer going to be a Blackhawk? Is he going to finish his career with a different team? It was just that question that kept raising and raising. And it didn't seem like Kane knew. And I really don't think he came to a decision towards the final end. Uh, but then once he goes home while the team's on the road, you think, okay, something's in the works. Uh, more information comes out that the New York Rangers are just kind of allotting their spaces so that they can clear room for him on the cap uh, or rather not get hit too hard on the cap hit. And then after that, it was just a matter of time. So once the news had broken that, okay, this is going to go down for sure, you just try to get all your ducks in a row, you get all the information right, you understand what the Hawks are getting, who the third team is involved, 
and all these things. And then it happens and then it becomes official. And then the team makes it announce makes an announcement. And then you're talking to the GM on the first intermission show. And then all that's over with, and you got to pay attention to the Hawks versus the Coyotes game. And it's really tough to do that because I'm in just full reflection mode at this point, because you're just going and going and going, not thinking about the severity of Patrick Kane being traded. You say it, you know it, but you don't really feel it. And then when it actually happens, I just ended up losing myself on social media, just looking at everybody's posts and what everybody remembers about not just being a Patrick Kane fan, but rooting for Kane in those moments, in those playoff runs. I mean, I, I was too young for the Bulls run. I, I was seven years old when they won their last one in 98. And the only memory I have is hearing cars honking their horns outside and asking my dad what, what the heck that's all about. <laughs> um, but I, I, the Hawks went on their dynasty run right at the end of my high school, middle of my college career. It was appointment television. I mean, it's how my roommates and I bonded. It was always an event. We, hey, where are we going to watch the game? Whose house are we going to? Uh, it's all you would read in morning, at, at night, during the offseason. And I was a huge baseball guy, but, but the Hawks were just kind of stealing my heart at that point. And Patrick Kane, a huge reason of that. And then all of a sudden it's over with. And you understand it. You, you, you saw it coming. You come to terms with it. But it was still a pretty big blow. And, uh, you know, I, I, I still, I'm just now getting to the point where I'm realizing, okay, yeah, he, he's on a different team. Before it was seeming like he was just hurt or something and he wasn't with yeah. the Hawks. But now it's, it's true. He's on a different team. And I, I believe me, I'm, I'm a fan of what's going on uh, with the direction the Hawks are going right now. I really like a lot of these moves that Kyle Davidson is doing, but this is still a pretty fresh wound for a lot of Hawks fans. And I, I think uh, it's, it's going to take a little bit for uh, that wound to heal. I want to dig in a little deeper to Patrick Kane's legacy in just a moment, but I, I did definitely want to ask you, you know, in regards to Patrick Kane's legacy, in regards to where this Blackhawks organization is right now, uh, in your opinion, then, did the Blackhawks get this right? I, I think with all the situations that had to be had, yes. Because what did they want to do? They wanted to make Patrick Kane happy. Patrick Kane, at the end of the day, it was his decision to move on. So, you know, you didn't sweep the floor with the return. And Kyle Davidson even admitted that. He... He clearly said, you know, when you talk about trading Patrick Kane, your, your first thought is a first round pick. But when it comes down to the way it came down to of basically looks like the Rangers are the only team, then there's really no leverage there. And the return is a second round pick that can turn into a first. And I, I don't think that's totally just a bag of magic beans. That, that is still possible. You know, the Rangers can go to the conference final. That, that's still very possible. And then the Hawks will get a first round pick. You're turning the page and it's, it's the biggest page to be turned. I think even, even with Jonathan Taves still there, um, Patrick Kane's probably the player with more good hockey in his future. Um, so that just shows to me that this team is continuing on their path of going through a rebuild and they're keeping their foot on the pedal for this rebuild. And Kyle Davidson wants to make sure that his fingerprints are on these next moves. And so far with some of the pieces that he's gotten in return, 
from other moves, I, I think is a story of success in terms of how he evaluates talent. He's, he's pulled guys from other organizations, Sam Lafferty, Jason Dickinson. We're seeing this new Anders Bjork guy. I mean, low risk moves that he's been hitting on. So if that's an indication of how he evaluates players, hopefully that's a good sign of things to come with. We're putting, or rather the Blackhawks fan base is putting all their belief in this new front office in terms of how they draft, how they evaluate, how they develop, because that's the next step of this rebuild. So, so far, I think we've gotten a good example of all of that. Yeah. And they're slowly becoming the Oklahoma city thunder of the NHL, right? I mean, if you just gather enough picks um, to either draft, to trade, to maneuver, it creates this flexibility that honestly, do you believe that, you know, this strategy is going to take a while. Joe, I don't think anyone is under a delusion that it's going to be a quick turnaround. But is this uh, an innovative way in the current landscape of the NHL when they have a salary cap that is so complicated that, forgive me, I, I don't completely understand that when you do have picks, when you do have draft capital like the Blackhawks are acquiring, it is an innovative way to try and you know replenish your roster and try and get some talent on this team besides just signing checks and bringing in players. I'm starting to learn the differences too, Joey. I mean, this is my second year in this role, but it is complicated and you see the differences because I followed the Cubs rebuild quite closely. I mean, I was working for a minor league team in the King County Cougars that fed the Chicago Cubs at that point. <laughs> um, baseball, baseball trades for rebuilding teams are built around acquiring prospects because you can't trade draft picks. In the NHL, you can trade prospects, but you're not really seeing it as much. And I think that's because they don't have as big of a pool. Minor league baseball consists of four different leagues for each major league team. It used to be more. I mean, the Diamondbacks had six or seven minor league affiliates. NHL teams have a lot of young players and players under contract, obviously, you know, the draft goes seven rounds. So they've got players everywhere, not just their AHL or ECHL affiliates. Mm -hmm. But I think, I think in terms of hockey prospects, you know what you have and hockey's just a little bit more predictable in mapping out talent than baseball. You get a lot of uh, diamonds in the rough in baseball. So there's such a high value on good scouts that can find those types of players. I I've received tweets and, and fans, you know, arguing that Kyle Davidson is just racking up way too many draft picks. And this is just putting full on faith in, in all these draft picks rather than players. I, I asked Kyle Davidson, you know, are you maybe next year, are you looking more towards going after prospects? And he said, if you have value in a prospect on another team, odds are they do too. And they're probably going to hold on to them a little bit tighter. And it's not as easy just to acquire it. Uh, so that's the biggest difference, I think, between the two. Because those are the two sports we see most with rebuilds. Um, it is going to be interesting. It, it's it's, it's going to be something that Hawks fans can follow along for the next couple of years. I know if they get Connor Bedard this year, if they if all the stars align and they get the number one pick, uh, that accelerates the rebuild right away. I mean, mm -hmm. you're you're talking about maybe going after free agents then in the next couple of years. Uh, but the one wise thing I think Kyle Davidson has done is he has spread out his wealth 
in terms of the draft picks. He's got six first round picks for the next three years. He's got 14 first and second round picks for the next three years. And those future draft picks for, you know, two, three years from now do two things. They give you the opportunity to draft a player, but they also give you the opportunity to use that draft pick as trade bait or Mm -hmm. some type of capital. There's multiple usage usages uses multiple uses of these future draft picks uh so i i think it's it's good on him to not just focus only on this draft which believe me this draft is being chalked up as one of the deepest in recent memory everyone's talking about obviously the generational talent that starts with Connor bedard but adam fantilli at number two is still being highly praised as well so th- there's a lot of investment in this upcoming draft but then there's a lot of investment in the drafts coming up after that. So again, it is on Kyle and his staff to draft, evaluate, and develop after that. But um, if that's going to work out, how they're setting it up right now seems to be the right way to do it. Yeah, and a main contrast I think that you already uh, illustrated between Major League Baseball and NHL is that top end of the draft. You know, if you get into the top end of the draft in the NHL, um, the the certainty of that player having the talent and actually that talent showing up for you and producing um, is far more likely than a number one pick would in the MLB. Uh, we've seen it with Connor McDavid, Jack Hughes. Uh, you're talking about Connor Bedard right now. And of course, we're talking about Patrick Kane. Um, and I'm trying to think of a way to um, approach this because it's a big topic, right? The legacy of Patrick, uh, Patrick Kane. What do you think about when you think of Patrick Kane, number 88 on the ice? And I, I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, what your thing is, because from my perspective, he was a player that I had all the talent in the world, right? We all knew that his skill set was elite for many, many years. But then he had that intangible, right? Of what what do the great players do? They create the greatest moments and memories in the most crucial times. And more recently, I just think of two things. One, what is it? He comes out, uh, you know, we're having a hard time trading Patrick Kane because he's got a hip injury. What does the guy go do? What does he post? I think like 10 points in four games, something along those lines. And then, of course, the buzzer beater that never was uh, that wrapped up. So for you, you know, what is it about Patrick Kane that, that made him so special, um, that made him an all-time great Blackhawk and the reason why he's going to have a statue outside the UC? All of the statistics and moments that he created, I I think everyone already knows. But one stat I I didn't realize until it was the day they traded him that I I came to realize this. He had a series clinching goal in three out of four playoff rounds throughout his entire career. What? And the only one he didn't was the very first round. In 2014, he had the series-clinching goal against the Minnesota Wild in overtime. Uh 2013, he had the series-clinching goal against the LA Kings in the Western Conference Final in overtime. And then everyone remembers in 2010 when he won the Stanley Cup against the Philadelphia Flyers in overtime. I I mean, that that says it right there, what he was capable of, just just – finishing games and finishing series and just understanding, okay, I, I got to do this. And he actually scored, I think he scored the last goal. No, you know what? He, 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 he scored one of the two goals against the Tampa Bay lightning in game six of the 2015 Stanley cup final. Uh, it was him and Duncan Keith. I can't remember which one, but either way, he either scored the game winning goal or the one that put it away. Um, 
it's just what he does. My, I, I, even in my uh, pregame preamble, the day they traded him, I, I gave a shout out to one of my roommates, Bob Falkenberg, who uh, one time we were arguing in, in our dorm room, you know, who's more important, Kane or Taves? And then, you know, like, we're just dumb freshmen. We're like, oh, even Chris Versteeg is, is doing a good job right now. And my, <laughs> my buddy's like, like, Kane just makes things happen. Like nothing happens. And then Kane has the puck and then something happens. And it's, he's right. Cause that, that's what it is. And exactly like you said, there was some talk about Kane's hip being an issue and him not being what we're used to seeing from him. Then he scores a hat trick, then another couple of goals. And then the buzzer beater, which again, the buzzer beater is, is amazing in itself. But the other aspect of it is he's aware of the situation. He understands that he can't just have as much time as like, he, he's looking at the clock to make sure yeah. he's got to, he's, he, he's in the backyard. He's in the backyard, Joe, yes. literally like yes. counting it down in his head. And just, <laughs> if I can interject really quick, is that the greatest Chicago sports moment that didn't count? Do we, I, I was trying to think of it. Like, I was trying to think of one. You know, I know Jordan drove in a run when there was a mock Cubs White Sox <laughs> interleague game. Pre-season, I remember yeah. the the Jordan Pippen uh, United Center send off game. I'm trying to think of like a Bears exhibition when maybe like I don't know Grossman lit it up and the but is that the greatest moment in Chicago sports history that didn't count? And how did it not count, Joe? Come on, man. It's uh it's a pretty unique sentiment, and uh, I'm sure a lot of people will. Ha- everyone's probably either got one to top it or have no idea what, what to choose from. And right now (laughs) I'm in the ladder. I wish I could think of something right now because um, man, I, I I just, I can't think of, I remember one time the Cubs are playing the Sox. I want to say in 2001, maybe Oh two, it was the first inning Sox load the bases and the crosstown classic is notorious for grand slams for whatever reason. There's like, (laughs) there's so many grand slams throughout that rivalry. And uh, somebody on the Sox floats it down the right field line and it hooks foul and the ump calls it fair. And this is before replay. And Sosa comes running in to talk to the umps. And it's like, if, if, if that were to count, there would have been a fire at Wrigley Field that day because people would just be <laughs> so upset. And so uh, th- there just would have been so many emotions going. Uh, I, don't, I don't have an answer for you right now. If I, if I can think of something, I'll definitely text you later on or uh, send you out on Instagram. No, that's an excellent – I think that's an excellent example right there. I think that's a great <laughs> – it's just like a what – it's a, it's a could have been um, and the drama, and you just never see that in hockey in general. You never see the, perhaps the greatest Blackhawk on a breakaway with no one else in sight between just him and the goalie. It's as cinematic as it gets. Two, one, slap shot, back of the net. I mean, God, it was just incredible. That's incredible. No, I, I, I know. Everything you just laid out is why it would be the, the greatest moment that never really happened. Um, it didn't count because the – the clock on the NBC Sports Chicago feed didn't match up with the one in Toronto. And the one in Toronto is the official one. And the puck has to be completely across the line with time still going on. But it looks like it came down to a tenth of a second, the very least amount of time that can be used to decide a decision like that. Because I don't think they go into uh, hundredths of a second on the NHL game clock. But Again, it's everything that's involved. And even still, that that's still the last tenth of a second that Kane played at the United Center right. as a Chicago Blackhawk. Even if it doesn't oh count, he, that's still what happened the last time he, he was on the ice. I mean, he, he, did, he did miss a shot in the shootout, but I love that he just went right back with the, with the slap shot. Um, just try to <laughs> get 
double down on the whole situation, but yeah, definitely won't ever forget forget that. Yeah, and and maybe my final one. I do want to move on to baseball. We got a little more time here left with Joe Brand. Um, do you leave the window open? I mean, it's the it's the obvious answer. It's what all Blackhawks think about, probably fantasize about. Is it realistic? Could Patrick Kane come back? I don't know about maybe next year, but do you think there is a window where Patrick Kane could still wear, you know, the Blackhawks uniform one more time in his career? I th- I think for sure we'll see you know, at the very least a one day contract at the end of his career, one last shift. I mean, that's just, that's kind of guaranteed. I would think um, in terms of next year, I don't quite see it. I asked Kyle Davidson this uh, the day he traded Patrick Kane, basically he is a free agent next year. Do you entertain that thought process? And he said, no, we're focused on right now. I'm sorry. He said, no, I don't entertain that thought process. Not no, yeah, yeah, Kane's yeah. not coming back. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but I mean, all the signs would point to he wouldn't return because I, I think the Band-Aid has been pulled off and that that was the hardest part. So they got through that. They got past that. I, I do think there is value in Kane continuing on this team, even if it is a rebuild. I mean, look at this past year. They're At the moment, they are at the second to last place in the NHL standings, and they had Kane for the majority of the season and Taves for that matter. Um, He seems like a great teammate. He seems like a guy that can benefit a lot of young players, but at some point you do have to move on too. So I'm wondering if just that's the Blackhawks approach. And honestly, it's it's a new regime and it's a new front office. They can do what they want. And if if that's the route they choose to go, then again, I, I think down the line, you'll, you'll see Patrick Kane, do his one last lap or something along those lines with the Hawks, because uh, I think, I think he deserves it. And I think the Hawks fans deserve it too, just to give him one last salute. Yeah. Results aside from, from this year, you just look at Kane's history and, you know, when you plan a line with Kane, good things tend to happen. If you look at, you know, what Brandon said, if you look at Panarin, if you look at Debrinket, I mean, a lot of these guys benefited from his elite skill, uh, his elite uh, playmaking. Um, wait, real quick. Final one. Is he a six million dollar player? Is he still an is he still an eight million dollar player? Or is he more a six million dollar player? Yeah, I don't think he's an eight million dollar player, but it, you never know. I mean, you might get a team that just wants to acquire him and just wants to woo him and bring him over. I mean, the dude will probably sell tickets just with the contract alone. So you can't rule that out. But I imagine that's a big reason why the Blackhawks wouldn't go ahead and re-sign him because they're they're not gonna be willing to spend that type of money. I don't know that for a fact. That's just what I would kind of lead to believe. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the Rangers, I don't think are a possible destination because they do not have a lot of room. It's something like they've they got needed like, help. They needed help just to, they needed like, right, the no, coyotes exactly. to cash a check. Just to, yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. It's, it's something like they've got like 13 mil of cap space open next year, but then that's with like six players off the roster. So mm-hmm. like, the, 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 I don't see that happening. Obviously everyone brings up Buffalo, um, I, I, I don't know. I've gone back and forth on Kane to Buffalo because he's been living in Chicago in the off season lately. So he, he hasn't been living back in Buffalo. I do believe he has a home there though, uh, or at least his family still does. Um, so I don't know, maybe if the Sabres are willing to just cut a big paycheck to bring Patrick Kane home, I could see that happening. Um, but I don't think it's, it's just such a, uh, a guaranteed thing. Like a lot of people think. Yeah. Uh, let's move over to baseball a little bit. Um, I, I just I had to ask you about this because I'm dying to get your perspectives on um, 
you know, obviously we have a lot of new rules being implemented in Major League Baseball this year. You probably have seen some of these rules implemented in the minor leagues in the past couple of years. This is new to some of our eyes. Um, but how do you think the transition is working so far in Major League Baseball? Are you on board with pitch clock, bigger bases, banding of the shift? And uh, how do you think this is all going to play out when the regular season starts? I'm actually on board with all the rule changes, and I know that's not going to uh please a lot of people. I honestly, though, don't have experience with any of the rule changes because uh, the moment we moved to unaffiliated in uh, the American Association, still professional baseball, but uh, it's independent now, uh, we kind of went back to the regular rules. Now, we did still have a runner at second base, um, which I've always been a fan of for the regular season. Saw that in affiliated ball and then over here in the American Association. But we are going to start incorporating the pitch clock and the banning of the shift this upcoming year. So I'm, I'm just uh, excited to see that those rule changes firsthand and broadcast with it. I, I do think that that's going to be an adjustment period. I, I just think that all the rule changes are designed to keep the game active to move the game along and just to keep people invested in it. And I think that's the biggest part. I was not on board with the banning of the shift a few years ago. And then someone just kind of ex explained the opportunity that players are going to be more inclined to swing the bat because there might be a few more holes on the infield and put a good swing on it. And hopefully it gets through and they get on base. And that's what you want to see. The thing I just have been hammering for the past couple of years is the game slows down because we have such a high value with walks. And why is that? Because every player going up through the minor leagues is being told, be patient, wait for your pitch, wait for something to drive. I mean, they would rather you stay away from a pitch that you could hit to swing at a pitch that you can drive. And why is that? Because it's all about launch angle and it's all about home runs and doubles. And I'm not even saying that in such a negative tone. It's just that, Walks are walks do more than singles in a lot of people's minds because they do two things. They get you on base and they pitch make the pitcher up. throw at least four pitches. Yeah, exactly. Because it's all about wearing down the starting pitcher, getting to the bullpen, getting to the lesser pitchers. So it just, it creates this log jam that we weren't even really aware of. And that is what is slowing down the game. Now it kind of does it all right. You can, you can still be patient, but not literally, you just only be patient figuratively. You can take a couple pitches, but you got to stay in the box. So I'm, I'm going to be a fan of that. I do think all these rule changes might be a little abrupt. Maybe, maybe not all three right away. Uh -huh. um, and, and give some more minor leaguers some time to, to grow up playing with these rules. Um, but I also think if you're going to do it, then do it. So tough luck, you know, we're changing the rules, but we're changing it for good. They're the same for everybody. I do think it's going to keep people more invested. And, and, you know, I'm done with the narrative that, oh, you just work in baseball. You want the games to get quicker. Hell, yes, I do. It, it, games get so boring. And, and the runner at second just automatically intensifies the action, automatically, in extra innings. And it's just, it's way more fun that way. I, I don't understand why all these baseball purists are all upset about it. If you're such a baseball purist, then you like the game in the 1960s when everyone was swinging their hearts out with every single pitch and games were getting over with in two and a half hours. Yeah, and you can't have it both ways, too, where we're seeing position players now pitching 
in these extra inning games because you're trying to save your bullpen. If you're trying to save your bullpen and not blow out your bullpen for the week, then put a runner at second base, right? You can't have it both ways. You're making a great point, too, about uh, just the way that we're pro- like the way that hitters approach at bats, where I think it does incentivize hard hit rate now over launch angle. And I think those are two different things. Of course, you have to hit the ball hard to hit it out of the ballpark, but now you just have to hit the ball hard. Send it out somewhere, and maybe you can get it going. My question for you is, and I'm curious, I think these rules are going to continue to evolve, right? Like the 15 seconds right now, I'm curious how that kind of plays out. Because as a broadcaster, I wanted to get your perspective of, in that 7th, 8th, ninth inning, you got runners at 2nd and 3rd, 2 outs, it's now 3-2 count, maybe a tie ball game. As a broadcaster, do you want it to be that 15 seconds, or would you maybe rather see seventh and ninth inning it go to 20 seconds maybe in the postseason it go to 20 seconds just let the anticipation breathe just a tiny little bit or do you think they got the time right it's funny because i the moment somebody said that on twitter you know how about we wipe away this rule on the eighth and ninth innings i'm like yeah i i, I see i see the reasoning for that i do but i also feel like it's making the game that would make the game more complicated right i, I mean yeah. base, baseball is like chess all every single rule is put in for a reason Three strikes are an out, four balls are a walk. Like th- there was a lot of thinking that went into that. And, and the same thing, I think, with the pitch clock too. I get your point and I do kind of agree, but I also feel like it's not so much to speed the game along and then get back to how we normally played it towards the end because now this is exciting. I think it's to change the mentality of what's going on in the pitcher's mind, what's going on in the batter's mind in the moment. Uh, believe me, I do, you know, as a broadcaster, I love turning up the crowd noise, not saying a lot when, when the bases are loaded in the ninth inning. And the then, two, two, yeah, the two, two. exactly, exactly. But I think there's still a place for that. And yeah. it's just going to keep everyone on their feet a little bit more. Cause Hey, I can't miss this right now. You know, it's, I, I remember one time in college, we were watching a football game and we were going to go out afterwards. And, uh, uh, somebody's girlfriend was like itching to get out. And she's like, like, okay, there's, or, and, and she's like, can we go? Like this game's been taken forever. And someone's like, yeah, but there's only 20 seconds. And she's like, you don't think I know the rules of football. You don't think my family did this to me all the time. I know 20 seconds isn't 20 seconds. 20 seconds is really like four and a half minutes. So don't tell me there's only 20 seconds left. <laughs> so I always, I always thought about that. Like, yes, you know, 20 seconds, but it, there's really so much time to, to go on. So now that's kind of, that's kind of baseball shortcutting through all that it's like all right yeah there we only need one more out that could take six minutes like not anymore not anymore that's over yeah. with no that's a great point and i and i i don't mean to be comical about it but there is something to be said about you know like you know when rizzo has that 17 pitch at bat and the foul balls are just like ricocheting off the back net and you're just like hitting them hammering over and over again every 15 seconds i can just see it being but 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 that's it, that, it's gonna ramp up right everyone's gonna right. get so more more excited with that because it's gonna be in such a close proximity of the action happening exactly because the main word right there is there's action there is action yeah. going on something is going on i mean I'm sure you've seen the viral videos of uh, the NLCS in 2016 between the Dodgers and Cubs, where they literally were able to squeeze in seven Jose Altuve inside the park home runs before like two pitches were thrown by one of the Dodgers pitchers. I mean, that, that is what goes on sometimes. And it's like, I, I guarantee you in like 10 or 15 years, someone's going to show that clip. They're going to be like, this is really how the game went. Like that, that's insane. That's what do you, how do you keep everyone invested? 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I'm just thinking of guys like Michael Kopech, and you know what I mean. There's certain guys that just really shut it down when runners get on base, and I think it's going to be a huge adjustment period. Um, I got two more for you, real quick. In terms of just that pitch clock, it's all going to even out, right? Because everyone adjusts. These are professional athletes, but as it stands right now, you know, game one of the regular season, who probably has the advantage? Do you think? Do you think it is the pitcher who now controls the tempo, the rhythm? Or do you think the hitter might have a little bit of advantage because now maybe you're not pumping 99 in the first inning anymore. Maybe you are going back to maybe the yesteryear a little bit of you kind of lean back in that first inning and then slowly maybe you, you, you pull back and then pump a 95 mile an hour in the third inning when you need it. You know, who's got the advantage, do you think? The slight advantage at this point. It's funny because this reminds me of the question I would always ask in April to the minor leaguers when the weather's cold. You know, who, who's got it tougher, the pitchers or the hitters? Because, you know, it obviously runs are low when, this, when the weather is cold. A lot of that has to do with the ball not flying as hard and frequently as it would. But, you know, the pitcher's got to stay warm. He's got he's to stay hot on his hand yeah. and everything. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm going to cheat a little bit and say both because I do think it, it depends on what type of hitter are you and what type of pitcher are you. I mean, there are pitchers out there that like the game quick. There, there are still Mark Burleys out there that want to just get the ball and throw. Uh, same thing with hitters. But I would lean more towards the pitchers because I think they're going to get this experience more frequently and more consistently and just all together, all, all at the same time, right? A, a batter goes up, has their at-bat, and then has to wait maybe an inning, maybe two to, for their next at-bat to get another lick at it. Um, so I think it might take some time for the hitters to get to that point. But uh, yeah, I would, I would lean that way. I could be wrong. That'd be a great question to, to ask a few players and pitchers out there, but mm -hmm. I would say both, but lean towards the pitcher has it a little bit easier just because they are still the ones in control. I think that's what ex what's exciting about it is I don't think anyone knows yet, right? I don't think anyone yeah. knows who might be has that advantage until they get out there and start doing it. I mean, yeah, your back can last 45 seconds. And then it's like, all right, I'll see you. I'll see you in a half hour. Uh, final one, just super quick, really easy for you. A couple weeks away from opening day. Um, we got two teams um, who, you know, if you go into Vegas right now, no one's really expecting much from either of these teams. I think they're both, you know, targeted anywhere between 77, 78 wins right now. Uh, but if you had to pick right now, who do you think will have more wins this season, the Chicago White Sox or the Chicago Cubs? I, I would, I would first, say the Sox, but I also don't think you should sleep on the Cubs. Um, I, I, I like what the Cubs have done this off season. I think the Swanson signing was a very good one. I like the Bellinger signing. Um, I feel like he can just be, he can bring a lot of upside. And then even the guys like Trey Mancini and Eric Hosmer, I know that that's kind of how baseball is going these days where you get these players that have had success years in the past and, and you bring them on over. But I, I still think that they can, put together a, a solid team. Um, they're getting a little creative with the rotation. Uh, so I, I have liked those moves. The thing with the Sox is they're being doubted by so many, especially by Sox fans, because I think they're just so upset with what's been going on the past year, but they still have a good team. I mean, they, they really yeah. do. Um, a lot is going to ride on Pedro Grafal. And if they weren't so fragile, I'd say Sox, Easily, easily going to have the better record than the Cubs, but they are very fragile right now. Uh, but there's a reason why things are fragile and because they're nice, pretty glass pieces. So 
I, I do think that both teams should have a more impressive season than a lot of people think. I don't know if anyone's going to run away with the division or world series or anything like that, but that's the other thing. The Sox division didn't get much better. So uh, I, I do think the Sox should definitely have a fighting chance for the division and then see what happens in the playoffs. And I, I, I do think the Cubs can just be an exciting, fun team this year that can surprise some people. And uh, I, I don't think they have a lot of room to figure things out though. One of those things where let's see what kind of start they get off to. And uh, that, that might dictate their season. Yeah, unfortunately, I think the Cubs are still probably in that mode of they could sell at the deadline this year once more, especially if Bellinger's playing well and they're a couple of games behind. Um, they also could be maybe a team that maybe looks to acquire and put a little jolt in the. You're bringing up a great point, though. With the White Sox, though, the, between the two teams, the White Sox are superior in talent but have no depth, where things could go drastically wrong if they lose a couple of key guys. Where the Chicago Cubs, I don't think they have the same talent as the White Sox, but they did do a better job with their depth this year i feel like when you mention guys like mancini hosmer you got three or four different guys that can play first base you've got a couple of different catchers that at least you trust that can play every day i think their rotation not the best rotation in the world but it is about seven deep especially if you get Hendricks coming back and they play in the nl central thank god because <laughs> yeah the nl east and the nl west is going to be just a murder murder for everybody no i think that's a good point too and uh one of the biggest bugaboos for the Sox right now is their bullpen. Uh, yeah. Obviously rough to hear about the Liam Hendricks situation. Just seems like one of the best dudes in the game. So awful news about him. Hopefully uh, he'll have a, a decent recovery. Um, but you know, th their bullpen hurt him a lot last year. Can you rely on Joe Kelly? Can you rely on some of these other arms? So that's, that's going to be a big question mark too. But their, their offense is still explosive. I know they lost Jose Abreu, but I'm excited to see what Andrew Vaughn can do in a more elevated role. Um, so, yeah, I, I would say not to sleep on either team, just in terms of their, their full excitement level that they can bring this year. Yeah, uh, you said it best. I'm excited. I'm excited to watch baseball on both sides of town, and I think that's a, that's a great place to be. And I don't think uh, Chicago sports fans have had that the last couple of years. Joe, we got to get you out of here. Um, thank you so much for hopping on. Please toss out your socials. Um, again, you know, I, I tell you, I got to tell you on the microphone, uh, just to see your rise of success. And then you take that opportunity, seize it and do such a fantastic job. Uh, it's really inspiring, man. So, uh, glad to have you back and, uh, always rooting for you and keep up, keep it up. Hey, thanks, man. Really appreciate the kind words. Uh, likewise, love the energy you bring on this. Uh, I, I recommend you and your podcast to a lot of people and uh, want to do the same right now. So please give, give Joey Christopoulos some love out there. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Joe underscore brand one. I'm on Instagram at Joe brand underscore WGN, I believe. I'm on TikTok as well. Just kind of figuring out as I go. I watch a lot of TikTok. I don't do a lot okay. of TikTok, but I'm, I'm trying to. Uh, Taking notes, learning. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I, I'm getting my feet wet at least. Um, but yeah, and again, thank you. Uh, had a couple opportunities to fill in for the great John Weidman, and boy, was that a blast. Uh, ended up doing six and a half games of play-by-play -play for the Hawks, but who's counting? Uh, but yeah, I mean, play-by-play -play is my passion. It's what I've always wanted to do, and to get the opportunity to have uh, WGN and the Blackhawks have enough confidence in me to fill in for that role means the world to me. So uh, really cool. Not sure when I'll get another one, but I uh, was happy to get the experience and uh, just going to have fun with it. More to come, man. More to come. What was the Hawks' record when you called the games? Uh, man, I got to map it out. I will say, though. They, they got at least one win, though, right? At least you got they, a chance I, to... I, I, called, I called three wins. 
I called three wins. One of them was an overtime game winner. I oh, called wow. a Patrick Kane goal, but this one I'll, I'll take to the grave with me. I called the last game that Taves and Kane played together. Whoa. In Edmonton, right before the All-Star break. I mean, clearly there's there was no way of knowing it at the time, but I, I just, in my head the other day, I'm like, wait a second, that was the last... That was the last game I did, and that was the last game that Taves and Kane played together. That's incredible. Put that in a bottle, put it in the cellar, and <laughs> just let it sit there for a while, and you're going to be able to pull that sucker out for the next 30 years. Oh, that's, that's a so, good point. That's incredible, man. Well, uh, cheers to many more, and uh, obviously the Blackhawks, with all their bevy of picks, uh, hopefully have some new stars that we're going to be rooting for. Maybe their name is Bedard. I don't know. We'll see what happens moving forward. Uh, today's episode of Bet on Chicago is presented by who else? BetOnline.ag, 50% welcome bonus. On your first deposit, when you use promo code believe B L E A V to receive that reward. Thank you so much for hopping on, listening to the show. Be well, be safe. Please be good to each other. Remember, when in doubt, always bet on Chicago. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.